Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Sunday night? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. You don't need an intro. Ole Miss is headed to the College World Series. You probably know the drill at this point. Colin Brister and I reacted to that for almost two hours. The Rebels stormed through the Hattiesburg Super Regional without allowing a run. We got into what Hunter Elliott did um, in his performance. Dylan DeLucia of Nails bullpen and the Rebels besting a couple of really good starters and what it means for Mike Bianco, the future of the program, and a whole lot more. Again, you don't need an intro. We've got a great podcast for you as the Rebels are headed to Omaha for the second time in the Mike Bianco era. Let's just get to it. But before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gaming handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're into wagering, need to get with Skybox, got the NBA Finals going on, baseball's up, you need to test these guys out. They're crushing it in NASCAR. They just made another killing at whatever the NASCAR race was this weekend. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they absolutely crushed it this weekend. You need to check out Skybox. Get a little prelude to football season, up your bankroll a bit check them out they're gonna have a picks package to fit your price range whether that's month long season long Uh, i'd recommend just going with the year-long all sports pass it's gonna pay for itself and then some because when you do business with skybox it's an investment they went up seven units uh on the saturday night race alone excuse me nearly eight units on the saturday night race alone by the way now i just pulled up the live stats but whatever your preferred sport is they're going to have a picks package. If you're into wagering, you got to use Skybox. You don't want the bookie texting you on Sunday night, Monday morning, and ask you to square up. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Guess who's going to provide that for you more often than anyone else in the industry and certainly more than your own brain? Skyboxsportspicks.com. So lucky to have them as a part of the podcast. Check them out. When you go on there and you get a picks package, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off. Go check those guys out. You can even do a day pass. Just try it for a day. Saturday with the guys, maybe you want to not actually lose money like the rest of the idiots in your friend group, use the Skybox Day Pass. Boom. Eight bucks once you use the Rippy uh, Rights promo code. Can't beat that. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. You know the drill at this point. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week, writing the one right now, the uh, Omaha uh or excuse me, a Hattiesburg Super Regional Reaction. But you also get discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kick off your grilling experience. Just go in there, show him proof of subscription, and he'll get you set up. Then go find your own favorites. LB's is the best place in the world to get meat, whether it's uh, the Lane Train Special. You got the Keith Carter Special going on there, a couple of bacon wrap fillets. I like the Tri-tip, got the filet burgers going there too, all kinds of delicious sausages, fresh seafood. They've got it going on there. It's prom grilling season, got 4th of July coming up. You want to throw something awesome on the grill. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Go check him out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. It is truly a jewel of the South and a jewel of Oxford for sure. Check him out there, LB's University Avenue in Oxford. All right, here is Colin Brister on this team's Omaha run the history it's made along the way, and how Ole Miss got here. 
All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, uh, proven prophet, Colin Brister. The Ole Miss Rebels are headed to the College World Series for the second time in the Mike Bianco era in a way that no one could have possibly drawn up. And throughout this entire winding season that's gone from number one in the country to seven and 14 in SEC play to feeling like they sort of got a favor just to have the right to be in this tournament, to just absolutely mowing through a good Southern Miss team. I, I, I texted you earlier before we started recording. I was like, I kind of had to go on a walk to like figure out what to say. That I saw it playing out a lot of different ways this weekend. I, I did not see that. How are you? Are you functioning? What, what's going on on your end? Yeah, I'm a lot better than I was uh, when there was bases loaded in the bottom of the, or the top of the eighth inning today. Um, I think we both said we thought Ole Miss would win in two, right? I, I just on a tongue it, in cheek. I thought it was possible if they won Friday, but mine was mostly just out of nothing makes sense. So boom, dead on. Um, I knew yesterday. Um, we're recording this on Sunday night. I knew yesterday when I watched Southern Miss's inability to make an adjustment against Dylan Belush. I'm like, oh, I, I don't, I don't know how Southern's going to score. Um, and when I thought that, I didn't, I didn't mean literally score a run. I just thought I didn't know how they were going to score enough to win the Super Regional. And, um, credit to Ole Miss, they held them down. It was, uh, it was an impressive performance. Uh, probably one of, if not the most dominant Super Regional performances ever. Um, team didn't score. It did not score a run. And quite frankly, um, they didn't have a whole lot of chances to score either. Obviously, you have a chance every time you're in the batter's back to get out of the ballpark. But I'm just talking about from a runner's scoring position standpoint. They didn't, didn't have many. Um, impressive, impressive. Look, um, I think both of us thought at the beginning of this year that this team could go to the College World Series, and I think both of us thought they were good enough to maybe compete for the national title. And while I, I have that thought four months later, um, two months ago, if you'd have told me, hey, Ole Miss is going to win a Super Regional in two games, I'm like, what are you smoking, my friend? Um, <laughs> but but here, here they are. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it there. And I think one of the important things you brought up in terms of uh, signs from game one to game two, and if outside of the result of Ole Miss winning 10 to nothing, could you tell anything from game one to game two? And I thought you hit the nail on the head with the Delusia piece of it. it. It wasn't just that they didn't hit Delusia, particularly early on in the game. It was the fact that they didn't make any adjustments. It didn't look any different the second and third time through the order. I think the first time Southern went through the order, all they had was, I believe, a one-out double from Wilkes. But the third – I mean, they only got four hits in the game. They scored – they had seven hits on the weekend. But I thought that one of the more um, foreshadowing signs that worked in Ole Miss's favor – and, look, I didn't think it necessarily meant that they were in great shape today – because Tanner Hall is terrific and was probably better than that line today um, in some ways. But I'm with you in that sense. I was like, okay, they're actually probably in good shape here because of the way it looked the second and third time around against Delusia. I think you nailed it. It looked the exact same. And with all – we talked in the the preview pod about Southern Miss's pitching staff and how this would be kind of in some ways the fairest of tests for Ole Miss – because it was, look, can this offense hit good pitching? And to its credit, it did. What we probably didn't give enough credence to was the fact that Southern Miss has a decent offense against Conference USA pitching. Could they actually face Ole Misses? I mean, I think we said this was probably the best staff they would face. How would they handle it? 
I thought Ole Miss would pitch it pretty well. I did not think it would reach that level of dominance. I'm with you. Once they entered today, I was like, okay, if Elliott's good, they're going to have a real shot because of Southern's lack of ability to hit top-end pitching in their own right. I just don't think they'd seen a lot of arms like that throughout the course of the year. And it's not even just velocity, right? Neither one of those guys will overwhelm with velocity. Yeah. The movement and the stuff. So you go look at, at, at the better teams that they played on the weekend, right? Dallas Baptist. Dallas Baptist got after them a little bit. Um, and, and there was some, there was somebody else that they played on a weekend, and it's like I don't know if they can hit good pitching, and it turned out they couldn't. Um, I know, I know, you know, the, the thought was, well, they hit LSU, LSU stinks. I mean, just being honest, they can't pitch. Um, probably should have learned that when Ole Miss went to Baton Rouge this past year, um, but or excuse me, a few months ago. But look, I, I don't want to take anything away. And, and this sounds. You know, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I don't want to take anything away from Ole Miss or Southern Miss. Southern Miss had one hell of a season. And quite frankly, it sucks that, that – it sucks for them that they had to play Ole Miss in this because there's not many teams in the country, quite frankly, that beat Ole Miss this weekend. I don't know if there's one. Um, so so it sucks that Southern had to deal with that. But um, just give a lot of credit to Ole Miss. It, you know, the, the first few innings in both games weren't easy, right? Like, they go scoreless in the first three, I believe, uh, each game, and then scoreless in the fourth today. Um, and just had to grind and grind and grind. Waldrop and Hall were special. And they're they're really, 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 really good. And um, they just kept and, – and give Delusia and Elliott a ton of credit because, you, you you know, you give up a one or a two spot there because Patel hits a ball out of the ballpark or you make an error or whatever. It's like, well, shit, now we have to fight back. And, and they just kept holding it at zero till this offense was able to break through against, you know, Waldrop and Hall. They, not, they gave them nothing to build off of. It was no. – I mean, particularly Hunter Elliott today, and we can bounce around a little bit, but I think we have to start with what that kid did today in that moment. I mean, we – in some ways, in the general sense, I could probably cut three-fourths of our Hunter Elliott segment from last week out and replace it this week in just terms of the kid meeting the moment – not looking uh, overwhelmed or afraid. Not that anyone thought he would at this point. I mean, I thought it was pretty certain you were going to get a good version of him. But you want to talk about not giving the opponent anything, particularly after day yesterday where Southern Miss only records four total hits. They had a couple of opportunities throughout the game. I think they ended up stranding eight runners, but no real success offensively. To not even let them breathe or get back up off the mat when they had their best guy going – was remarkable to watch. And you talk about a kid that just hasn't been phased by the moment the entire year. I mean, that was the biggest game, one of the biggest games in Ole Miss baseball history to this point. And the kid didn't allow a run. He gave his career-long outing with his career high in strikeouts. And, yes, that's the same thing as a season high because he's a freshman. I get it. But, like, that was remarkable what he did today. I, I really am running out of ways to compliment Hunter Elliott. And not only that – I hate keeping making the Doug comparison, but he had an attitude about him today. Like he was annoyed that there was anyone thought there yeah. was a possibility that anything else would happen than other than what exactly, exactly what he did. I mean, he looked so, not annoyed to be out there, but he looked like he was facing opponents that were unworthy to him in the best way possible. Yeah. So that's a really good way to put it. And I, and I was sitting here thinking today, right? Hunter Elliott's a freshman. He's what, 18 years old. Um, when Ole Miss lost to Virginia in game three and game two, Hunter Elliott was, I believe that would make him six. Um, and then, oh, you know, seven, 17 years ago, he'd be one against Texas. And then 16 years ago, he'd be two. So I guess my point is he didn't really give a shit that they had never won the, the game after, uh, 
you know, they, they went one and oh, I don't think he really cared. And it was obvious on his face. Like you could tell uh, that moment was not too big for him. And he didn't care who was in the box. It didn't matter. I'm going to I'm going to get this ball. I'm going to throw my 88 mile an hour fastball across my body with my deceptive delivery. And you're not going to do a dang thing about it. And then I'm going to throw this front door. That was what was so impressive to me, right? was the front door curveball to lefties. He was throwing that thing at their shoulder, and it breaks over the plate. And, and, and like, if you're a Southern fan, I get it. You're pissed off you didn't score. Here's reality. You can't hit that. You just can't. Um, There's nothing you do. So, I threw a ball at his shoulder, and it's breaking over the plate. What do you want him to do? It's uh, He was filthy, man. He was filthy. It's um, What an outing. It, considering the circumstances, considering what was on the line, maybe the most important or, or maybe the most dominant outing by anyone in Ole Miss uniform. I know Drew Pomerantz. I get it. He sent him to the Super Regionals on two days rest. I get that. And from a sheer dominant standpoint, it's certainly Pomerantz's outing. Um, but considering what was on the line today and just how miserable a game three would have been, and quite frankly, I think Ole Miss would have won a game three, but I'm glad it didn't come to that. Um, I think it was the most – I think it was the most impactful, let's put it that way, outing by anyone ever in an Ole Miss uniform in, modern, in the modern era. I got to tell you, I don't remember – I mean, I watched the Pomerantz game, and I, I, I remember it. But, of course, I didn't really watch baseball the way I do now, being older and doing this podcast and all of that. And so, I won't argue in terms of dominance it being the Pomerantz thing, but, I, yeah, I got to put it in the same category. And it's yeah. – it started with exactly what you're talking about. That front door slider to left-handed hitters, they were turning into it as if they were going to get hit in the upper back. And, I mean, there were a couple instances early in the game where the umpire called it a strike and he would turn, the hitter would turn around almost surprised but not even question it. It was just like he, they didn't know how to process it. There were a couple of times where they looked down and like, just looked like, I don't know what to do with this. They, either they looked back at the umpire or they just stared blankly for a second. It was like, how was that a strike? I know it was a strike, but like, how did that, how did that come in the way it did? And I got to tell you, a couple of those he threw to the top part of the order in the first and second innings. I, that immediately, and it was, it was that exact pitch. That's when I thought, okay, if they can just score one or two runs, he's going to be as good or 95% as good as to whatever Tanner Hall puts out. So they've got a real shot today if they can just get something off of Hall. And we can get to the missed opportunities in a second, but the way he looked, the, the life he had on that breaking ball, the way he located the fastball, and in some ways it didn't look like he used the changeup a ton today, but when he was able to throw it, he was so dialed in on all points of what he was doing today. I, you could tell from 15 pitches on, that Ole Miss had a chance to win a two-to-one game or something like that if they could just get something because he was – it looked nothing like the Miami thing. Like, with the Miami first inning, I was like, all right, they might need five, six runs to feel pretty good about this. Today looked like they were going to be in it if that thing had gone 0-0 zero, zero to the eighth. Yeah, no, that's that's completely fair. Um, it, Southern wasn't hitting him, and it was just a matter of how much he could give you. Um, and, and, and he almost gave you eight full innings. Um, I, I want to do something as, as we're um, recording – um, just every few minutes, I want to just remind everyone that Notre Dame beat Tennessee in, in a super regional. And I think that's an important thing for everyone to acknowledge and to remember. I think that's uh, it was great for America for, for that to happen. I don't know if you saw it. It was one of the uh, best moments in college baseball history, considering that, uh, you know, they saved college baseball. 
Yes, they did. And I've got some takes on that uh, in a bit. I was watching that while on the golf course this morning. I mean, I, so I did like an impromptu call in to hand raise guys right before we started recording this. And Neil asked me about it for a second and he just goes, that was karma, right? I was like, yes, moving on. It's <laughs> exactly what that was. The game knows. And, and that's, that's a common phrase like among coaches, but, but I do believe that. I don't believe a whole bunch of those cliche phrases, but the game knows. You, you, you act like that, you get what you get. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry. I, was, I, I have never, and I mean this genuinely, I have never been happier for a baseball team to lose than I was today. And, and I've rooted against Mississippi State a lot of times. I have never been happier that someone lost a baseball game than Tennessee lost that one today. I'm with you. And if you want to make it a comparison, bridge it back in. Was Tennessee hitting Hunter Elliott today? Uh, no, there was, uh, there, was, there was nobody hitting Hunter today. It's why, it's why I think this team's got a real shot to win a play for a national title. They got two stalwarts, dude. Like, what are you going to do? Especially, and here's the thing that people, and, and they won't hear this before this game happens, Auburn needs to win that, that series. Yes, um, Oregon, Oregon State's got, and I figure he's going tonight. Actually, I need to look at that. Hajerpe is, is how it's spelled, H-J-E-R-P-E. Uh, close to something inappropriate, but not exactly. Um, if he goes tonight, he probably forces that to a game three. They didn't throw him in game one. He is a real left-handed dude, first-round guy. 92-94, high spin rate, really, really, really good. So, uh, Ole Miss definitely needs Auburn to win that Super, but if they do, Ole Miss has just as much of a shot as anybody to get to the national title series. And what a sentence that is considering uh, what happened in March and April. Oh, my – yeah, what a place to be. Like, I I just (laughs) – I never would have thought such a thing when they left Fayetteville at 7-14. and And the other piece about Elliott was just, you know, Doug – like, Doug and some other guys, they're – they, they've almost had some really good pitchers through the years, but Doug almost like sure. played into the emotions of the game. And I don't mean that in a bad way to where he got caught up in it. Like I think of him just throwing his hands up in the air in that moment in the game two of the 2021 Tucson super regional, where I think he had just gotten through another scoreless inning, but it was, a, you know, one of the 20 million uh, 15 pitch at bats. It felt like that Arizona had put together <laughs> and like, he just kind of, I mean, he was enjoying himself. He was living, uh, like almost pitch to pitch and was like you could tell he was just kind of enjoying himself out there Elliot was so stoic it almost looked like he didn't break a sweat which is remarkable considering the ridiculous move he does of wearing sleeves in the Mississippi League. I don't love that I'm not uh, questioning is, it I don't even is there, it. I just find it is there any hot. way on that is there any way it's like a dry fit thing that makes you like keeps you cool or do you think like we're, we're straight long sleeves in 98 degree weather it's a failure on the Ole Miss media if this, this hasn't been asked. It may have been asked, and I just uh, haven't seen it. But I, I don't know. Like in golf now, they put these compression sleeves that shield right. your arms from the sun. And they, I think for the most part, one, they keep you somewhat cool, but they also act as like a skin cancer deterrent. Um, I see a lot of like older people wearing them and younger people too. But like, if, is it one of those to where I don't think it's actually a shirt. It's just a pair of sleeves. I think he's got a long sleeve shirt going under there. Well, I'll have to talk to my sources and equipment. Um, but I, I just, I mean, he looked completely calm. I don't understand how that, that luscious mane he's got going in the back doesn't really sweat <laughs> with that going on. But, like, even in just a metaphorical sense, he looked like he knew exactly what – I don't know how many pitches he threw today, but if he threw 99 pitches or whatever it was, he looked like he knew exactly what he wanted to do on each and every one of them. And it was 
I probably use this term too much, but in a lot of ways, it was kind of mesmerizing to watch him work out there. I mean, there was little to no resistance throughout the entirety of that. I, I just, I can't say enough good things about that start in that moment. And I, look, we talked about this team and not necessarily getting caught up in some of the postseason's past narratives, because most of the time, like you said, they're younger, they don't care. But if if you wanted to even leave the possibility open that they would there would become a moment where Ole Miss got tight. Uh, that kid ensured that moment didn't exist because there was never really a doubt, particularly once Ole Miss scored, how the rest of that was going to go as long as Elliott was in the game. And I, I think Ole Miss really fed off that. I mean, think about the defense today. That's another thing that's changed with this team throughout the postseason. Think about the two shot, at least the two shot and yay plays, but there was one where he made a hell of a play on a ball going to his right. It was the same inning where Elko uh, – snagged the liner that saved the run and with the way runs were coming in the first five innings um or excuse me hard to come by that was a huge play the way they played defense today was as impressive as anything to me really throughout the course of the entire weekend and I just have to think that that has to do some I and mean, with Delusia you can put in this category as well but Elliot too they just seem to rise to the occasion behind him because of how ridiculous he's uh performing yeah I mean he was so good and and you know, I don't know that the, the and, and this is a topic for another day, but I don't know the draft status of, of Delusia, but they've got a real chance to have both of them back next year. Um, man, I think they're great. To do, just to do that as a freshman in that environment, um, and, I, and and I'll ask you this because we both saw it on TV. I didn't, and, and this isn't a shot at the Southern fans. They were into it and they were loud. That environment wasn't as like zoo-like as people I think made it out to be. I, that that it didn't seem as hostile as I thought it would be, and it didn't seem as crazy as maybe I thought it would be. And I don't I don't know if that was just because you know Ole Miss got out to the early leads, but it did not seem like it was just you know a, a very. And I don't want to say that that it wasn't a very, very intimidating place to play. It just didn't seem like it was overwhelmingly loud or or, or the zoo-like atmosphere that maybe I think both of us predicted it would be. I've been to that park a couple of times and the tents that they put up on the side, at least the right field side where there's not any uh, seating all the way through the outfield. And it doesn't look as rowdy in the outfield because they're kind of split part, like in between those trees. But uh -huh. it is, it, even though it, it's like spacious and has a bunch of foul ground, it can get pretty noisy in there and can get pretty rowdy. I, I agree with you. I don't think it was the – I didn't live up to what I thought it would or could potentially be. I thought it could be kind of – I think I described it as like a mid-major gym when Gonzaga comes to town, one of those West Coast gyms. It didn't live up to that. But I think the last part you hit on is partially why. At what point did they ever really have a chance to have the crowd take control of an inning or a sequence or a game? I mean, they had a bases-loaded scenario in both games, but Ole Miss was up three and four to nothing both times they happened. Like – that felt like a crowd that had to sit on its hands for much of the series. I mean, hell, they they only had seven – that the crowd for both days only viewed seven hits from the Golden Eagles. So, I think it's probably a little bit of both. But, I, I mean, to kind of wrap up the Delusia Elliott piece of this, you got to give them credit for that, for not ever letting it get to that point and giving whatever, whatever you know, number of people were there the chance to take it over. Yeah, man, that's – yeah. You're, you're exactly right. There, there was no opportunity to get into the game, and God bless them, they tried. I mean, they're, they're doing ball four chance in the ninth inning, and I'm, not, and I'm not making fun. I get it. 
that's a tough situation as a fan to be in when, when you just, there's nothing that really gives you that energy or that jolt, but it just didn't seem like a, a, a zoo as people kind of made it out to be. And again, a lot of that's due to Ole Miss, you know, jumping out early um, or not really early, but, but in the middle innings on, on Friday and on, excuse me, on Saturday and on Sunday. Um, no, it was, it was as impressive as a weekend as, as I've seen as, as an Ole Miss fan in a long time. Um, even the, the the Louisiana Lafayette Super Regional, I mean, yeah, you you were dying. Like I was I was dying in all both games that they won in the eighth inning. And and in all intents and purposes, as someone that is just cynical and thinks at some point something is going to go wrong for Ole Miss, like I was just waiting on something to happen. But I I really did, and and, and I'm a cynical human being when it comes to Ole Miss. But I just knew watching them swing the bat over the weekend, I'm like, they can't – even if uh, – what's his face? Patel hits the ball off the foul pole and they, they tie it up at 4-4 four to four in, the, in the eighth. I'm like, how are they going to score again? Um, so, it, it just almost was just better. And, and that's not always the case in Super Regionals. It surely wasn't the, the case the last two. But this weekend, they were clear and far away the, the better baseball team. And, you know, for, for a team that we talked about doesn't get a whole lot of luck, when it comes to the postseason, as far as advancement opportunities and, and um, who they get to match up with, they, they surely caught a break this year uh, from that perspective. Yeah, they did. And kind of on that note, we might as well go back to really the one moment of consequence in game one. Um, it was the, foul. The fa- it was. It was. And look, I think, I think it got settled pretty clear. But I think what, what sparked any form of debate, because, you know, in social media, we're, I, I, I Ryan Russillo always says this. I listen to his podcast a lot, and I probably reference it too much. But he always says we're bad at handling things in the moment, us as an audience or us as commentators or whatever the case may be. It's always, like, too exaggeratory or too reactive in the moment. When he hit that, the first two – maybe you had a different vantage point, but the first two replays, I was like, oh, that's fair. Like, that's definitely – like, that's fair. Yeah, then they zoomed I, I was concerned. And I was like, that's close. And then the last one I thought made it pretty clear where they finally got it and showed it going across the foul pole. But in live action, I thought that that was fair. And even when they played the first two replays without zooming in or slowing it down, I thought it was fair again. The one thing that stood out to me was Elliot. You could see – excuse me, not Elliot. Yeah. You could see in the corner of the screen when they were panning down the line, he immediately signaled foul. And yeah. that's not like a basketball player begging for a call – or like a, a, a hitter like trying to uh, coax an umpire into convincing him that it the ball hit him or something. Most of the time when a pitcher like points foul because they can see right up the line, like he pointed that way as if he knew something. And I thought that was weird from the start. But what was your take on the whole thing? Just kind of take me through the whole sequence because that was a wild five minutes. Um, yeah, so – so they call it foul, and in my, my mind, obviously, when I see, okay, they, they call it foul on the field, it's like they've got to have um, – because, you know, I, I fault replays in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, but the one thing they are consistent on for the most part is they do not overturn a call unless there is overwhelming conclusive evidence. Not even conclusive. It's got to be overwhelmingly clear. And, and I knew from the first three plays, I'm like, I don't know. And then I see the, the next one, I'm like, okay, there, there's no way they can say for 100% sure this is fair. And then I'm like – and then I see the last one, I'm like, oh, that's foul. So, at that point, my mind settles down. And it's like, I, I, there's, they can't call this fair. I guess, the, you know, the, the cynical nature of me being an Ole Miss baseball fan, I was like, I guess they could just say screw us and call it fair. But I don't know how they could have rationalized 
calling that ball fair. It, it wasn't. The ball was foul. Scott Barry said it was foul. People sitting behind the stand or behind the fence said it landed foul. It, it was foul. And, and here's reality. And, and Southern gets pissed about this because I, I talked to a Southern fan last night, and, and I'm like, it didn't matter. You weren't going to stop all. Uh, Waldrop was done, and you couldn't score. So, so I get it from a momentum. If you want to believe in that type of thing, I, I get it. But like, come on. What it, it, you're, you're telling me? Even if that ball was, it, you know, incorrectly ruled fair, and you have a four to three lead, you're going to protect that lead. You just gave up ten, and I get it. You maybe didn't use your best pitchers, um, but I don't think that. I don't think that played any significance in all at all into who was going to win the super regional. I'm I'm somewhat with you too. I, I could see a world where they hit that and it's four to three because you got to remember Ole Miss is now losing the game had sure. that ball stayed fair and that could have played out differently because again look at it, as much credit as this team deserves we have seen them at times when it's a one run game in the six just not be able to get over the hump and. Um, Southern Miss had a full bullpen, and Waldrop was still pitching pretty well at the time. I'm with you. I think Ole Miss would have come back to, and still won the game, and it probably wouldn't have ended up mattering. Um, of course, they ended up scoring 10 runs, but the, the game has such a different personality based on whether that's foul or fair. So I think Ole Miss would have probably would have won it anyway, but I will say I could see a scenario to where that really – like that's a play that changes the course of that game. Um, but I kind of tend to agree with you too. But I, I did appreciate – Scott Berry was – I, I like him a lot. Um, he's awesome. He seems like a great man. I don't know him personally, but he did our rate. He did when I was at Sports Talk. He did the radio show every Monday. Always had a great attitude about it. and just seems like a genuinely nice man. I appreciated him saying, I know it was foul, but of course I was going to challenge it just to see if they could catch a break. I don't know why. I just kind of appreciated that honesty um, because I guess once you saw the replay, if I were Southern Miss's head coach, I probably would have done the same thing where he's like, ah, it was probably like, I, I knew it was foul, but why not challenge it? Cause it was close. I just kind of appreciated the honesty of that. Yeah. No, I mean, you take your shot and see, because I mean, I, I have never seen, and I've watched a lot of college baseball. I have never seen something not challenged that needed to be challenged. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like he was going to run out of challenges for challenging it. And then it turned out it was even a crew chief for um, no, you take your shot and see what happens. But ball is clearly foul. Um, and, and after that, I mean, give Ole Miss a ton of credit, right? Like you see, you know, not, not maybe not your life flash before your eyes, but a different ball game certainly flashed before your eyes. And it's like, well, let's actually end this. And they just put it bat after it bat after it bat together against Waldrop and whoever they brought into the game after that. And, and credit to them because obviously when they went up 10 to nothing, that game was over. Yep, and you're dead on to that, that part, too. Like, the, we talk about the difference in this season, and I think the common theme of it is seizing opportunity. Um, all the way up from Ole Miss, you know, you can argue the merits of them getting in the tournament, and we had that whole discussion. So they get in, what are you going to do with the chance? And then they get through the Coral Gables Regional. Um, you know, they, they, they take advantage of a timely hit from Tim Elko to beat Miami, and then – it's like, what are you going to do with it? And so many times they've squandered so many opportunities this year. I mean, Mike even said a different version of this. I think they played it on the broadcast of Mike. I think he told Ben McDonald, with, yeah, even when we were 7-14, and 14, we had plenty of chances to win those games and take control of those series, and we just did it. And that was really the this team's DNA. I mean, that's what was going to be written on their gravestone. That's really who they were. And I think that's the biggest thing is, that's flipped is seizing opportunity. I won't say Ole Miss caught a break because the ball was foul. But, man, they cut that thing close, and what did he do? He struck him out on the next pitch. 
I mean, that's a really dangerous hitter in Ewing that had been mired in a slump. You know, he was a little bit Kevin Graham-like for them. They were a different offense after he got hurt. He got hurt for nine games. They went four and five. He came back. They kind of went on a run again. Well, what did they do? They struck him out, and then they immediately put the game to bed. They scored. They chased um, Waldrop. They went through three pitchers in that inning um, and scored seven runs, and the game was over by then. And so it – I don't know. It just seems like this entire postseason has been about them finally taking advantage and seizing opportunity. Whether I mean, look, they entered the year zero and sixteen when trailing after the sixth inning, and what did they do? They're two and zero this postseason. They trailed in both of the first two games after the sixth inning, uh, excuse me, and the sixth inning or later when uh, and they won both of them. And so it just seems like the theme has kind of been seizing opportunity. And boy, did they do that this weekend. And I think that started with the seven run sixth after the uh, the 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 uh, foul pole uh, grand slam deal. Yeah, yeah, I did, and, and, and man, it was impressive. Um, all the knocks about this team, right, and a lot of them were fair, um, kind of come to fruition. They kind of had to overcome it, right? Like the bullpen had to be good in Miami or they don't win. Um, the offense had to be good situationally, and here's, here's something that um, is different. If you want to ask what is different about this team, they scored – when they got guys to third base in less than two outs this weekend. They, they hit the ground ball. They hit the fly ball. They, they got them in, whereas two months ago or a month ago in Fayetteville, Arkansas, I watched this team butcher opportunity after opportunity to make that happen. It's a different, it's a different team, man. It really, really is. It is not the same. And I understand they're the same human beings, but they are not the same players they were a month ago. Um, it's impressive. And, and you know, look, I, I, we're going to get into this. Five deserves a hell of a lot of credit because that, that thing could have gone sideways and he pulled off his best coaching job in an old Miss uniform over the past month. And, and you know, I, like I said, we'll get into this later, but I, I, I know that there's, there's a lot of people that yell about five and, and, and what he does and how he coaches it. But I, I'm genuinely happy for that guy. I know, I know that he's got his flaws and I know that, you know, um, maybe haven't won in the postseason as much as you want, but, Got built the built the program, and and unless something crazy happens, he's going to retire as the Ole Miss head baseball coach. Regarding the offense part of that, you know what? I mean, you're dead on with it too. But I mean, there's a couple stats that can back it up. I mean, they were seven and nineteen with runners in scoring position in the game one win. They were three of thirteen today. But you got to factor in the fact that a couple of those came against a guy with just an absolutely wicked changeup in Tanner Hall. But they were six of even in this five nothing win day where they weren't they didn't hit it as much as they did. Um, they were, what was that? I just had it written down. Six of 20 with runners on base. Um, yesterday, they were eight for 23 with runners on and seven for 19 with runners in scoring position. You know, the biggest thing, because the biggest knock was this is all, this offense hits the ball over the fence and does nothing else. 14 of their 15 runs before the TJ McCants home run all came without a home run. The only home run Ole Miss hit this weekend was the McCants home run. They scored 10 runs against a top-end arm yesterday or a couple of top-end arms to take control of that reg uh, super regional without hitting the ball over the fence. I mean, that, that's the exact opposite of what this team did for the better part of two and a half months. So you're right. I mean, it's the situational hitting. And look, yeah, they squandered two on, no outs, the first two innings of the uh, game two today. But my thinking on that was, yes, it wasn't great. Of course, you'd like to get a run home. Graham smoked the ball right to the second baseman, though. Exactly. Like smoked yeah. it. But even on top of that, where you got to give them credit and where it still proves different is Tanner Hall is a guy that generates a lot of swing and miss. He's a really, really good pitcher, and really, really good pitchers escape 
uh, situations yep. like that. But you know what Ole Miss did is they continued to apply the pressure, and eventually the guy's not going to escape every one of them, and they finally broke through. That's what looked different to me today about it. Yep, yep. And, and, and they made adjustments, man. Uh, um, you know, the, the first two times I can't get the ball in the air, and then what happens? You know, Justin Bench, it's, it's the double end of the corner. By the way, unsung MVP of this team is Justin Bench. Just every day just brings it. Um, and plays all over the field. They, yeah, they and just, plays they it. It does it well. All weekend and didn't miss a beat because of him. Speaking of which, how awesome was that for that kid in the ninth inning? Today? Oh, amazing. He's had such a, a, a tough, terrible year on a number of different levels. And I don't necessarily mean that to like degrade his performance. He, I ta- I'll take back terrible. He's had a really tough year on a lot of different fronts, both on and off the field. That was yeah. That was all. I mean, there were so many parallels at the end of that game that were just kind of like, yep, that makes sense. That was cool to see. That was top of the list. I thought that was awesome. Good for McCants. He's had a really, really rough year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Bench just plays, you know, plays two positions elite. Like, he's really, really good at both of them. I, I just and, – and, and what about Garrett Wood, man? Like, in game one, you put him in as the guy that, hey, he's going to make all the plays at third base. Well, hell, he did. And then he also hit. Uh, I know not as good on on Sunday, obviously, but man, just just two really really good at bats and key situations for Ole Miss on Saturday to get that lead um, and extend it. Some it's they just had guys make plays, man. They just had dudes go show up and make plays that they didn't make the 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 first seven series of SEC play. Um, and you know what's funny is is, is I said this on uh, I believe Thursday or Friday show I can't remember what we recorded and 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 it, I'm saying, but none of it matters now. Like, like I, I, I'm kind of annoyed at some people's talking, and, and I get it, it's just fans and, and whatnot in social media. It's like people talking about how bad the regular season – it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it sucks that it wasn't didn't happen in Oxford. Who cares? They're going to they're gonna play in Omaha next next Saturday night against Auburn or Oregon State. And, um, man, it was uh, – It's I, I'm still kind of in shock. That I, I thought they'd win all weekend, so I'm, I'm not overly surprised that they won, but just from the overall landscape – this team is going to the College World Series is one of the most hilarious things ever. I'm surprised at the the ease of it. I, yeah. I, I was sitting there trying to figure out what – I was starting the writing process before we started recording, and I was trying to figure out what to write. And I was sitting there. I watched it watched today's game by myself uh, just on my TV in my apartment. And I, I don't want to say I was – like I was having to stop myself from being like, is this kind of – like why does this feel underwhelming? And it's not because it's underwhelming. It's because it lacked any sort of drama. And everyone, I think, would prefer it that way. But you brought up the 2014 um, Super and ULL. I mean, those were two really – the first game, too, just really topsy-turvy, action-packed games. There's just none of that this weekend. It was very machine-like in business. Like, Ole Miss just went in and kicked a really good team's ass and just kind of dismantled them from start to finish. And so, underwhelming is the wrong word to use, but it felt – anticlimactic because I mean in the purest sense of the word there was no like climax they, they took the lead in both games they didn't allow a run all weekend I mean look people listen to this podcast for some uh, expert analysis and advice I'll throw this to you it is hard to win a super regional if you don't score um, I'm not sure how many teams have done that yeah um actually I, I know they actually showed that during the game um 2014 college of Charleston and 2002 LSU it, it happened to them so uh, neither of those uh, won their series either. So that, that is usually how it works. You must score to win baseball games. And, 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 look, I'm not a Southern Miss extraordinaire or anything, but that was the same lineup that was in Oxford last year outside of Reed Trumbull, and they were nowhere near as impressive, obviously. Um, Ole Miss just kind of owned them. 
And Ole Miss was better on the mound last year, I felt like. Um, so, well, maybe not Maybe not in the two games that they played them. They, they definitely worked in the two games they played them in Oxford last year. But still, I mean, I don't know what happened at Southern offense, but you could just tell early on, like, they are overpowered here right now. There, there wasn't a whole lot they could do um, from that standpoint. But, uh, no, it was – look, from – after the only other super win being ULL and the dog fights to win both of those games, those were, I welcome um, easy 2-0 super regional wins. If I can get a few more in those, of those in my life, I'll take them. It, it's, I was thinking about this earlier, and we, I, I think – I always think about it from the lenses. Like, okay, how did they get here? How did this happen? And undoubtedly what happened – and this speaks into the fact – I didn't want to ignore your point about Mike Bianco earlier, but I was getting to it from – kind of diving into it from this lens. This happened because of what this pitching staff became. Um, we entered this season, you know, we were talking about it during the preseason, thinking, okay, the pitching staff is going to be a weak point. Where can they find three starters? I mean, the we were talking about for the first month and a half, Derek Diamond doesn't have to be great. He just has to be good enough as the Friday night guy. And to go from there to the pitching staff, and particularly the starting pitching, well, it's actually not even just particularly, just the pitching staff as a whole, undoubtedly being the strength of this team and not even just good, but great to dominant in the postseason is a credit to Mike Bianco because you were on this from early on. You, you said it from March on. He usually figures out, most always figures out how to have a competitive pitching staff. Well, I don't even know if he could have envisioned this. It, it went beyond competitive. This is absolutely the strength of this team without a doubt. And this is why they're going to Omaha. This, I mean, the offense finally morphed into some semblance of what I think most thought it would be, but they're, they're going to Nebraska because of what this pitching staff became. The Ole Miss bullpen in the 2022 postseason has covered 16 and two thirds innings. They have not allowed an earned run. I believe they've allowed one unearned run. They have, I had this up earlier. Now, of course I lost it when I need to read it, but uh, let's see. They have allowed no earned runs, seven hits, 25 strikeouts, and two walks. That's, uh, that's, I mean, throw that on top of what Delusha and Elliot are doing for them. That's, that is legendary shit. Like, I mean, I don't even really know how to describe it. It, it is remarkable what this pitching staff has turned into. They're, they're dominating teams. Yes. Um, and, you know, when the offense plays well, good luck. Um, really, really fun to watch, really special. And it's what we thought this team could be all year. And, thankfully, we did get to see this. Um, it was so – Ula was so mad um, when it looked like they had, you know, little to no shot of making the tournament because it was like they have a run in them. They're, they're, they're not going to play this bad all year. And, thank God, they turned it on when they did. And, and that is the reason that uh, they're playing in the College World Series. I will say this um, – like, look around the country, and, and I get it. You know, two and six and supers isn't great, and obviously you'd rather be four and four or five and three or uh, seven and two or whatever Van Horn is. I get it. Number one seed is at home. The number four seed is at home. The number two and number three seeds are have to play and win games to advance to the College World Series. The number seven seed is at home. It looks like the number eight seed is going to go home. The number six seed is at home, and the number seven seed is at home. It is hard to win Super Regional. Like, I, I do want – it's really freaking hard. And I know, like, it, it, a lot of teams in this region, you think it, make, makes it that make it look easy. It is extremely, extremely hard 
to win a super regional and to get to the college world series. So I hope that the Ole Miss fans, and I think they will uh, understand and appreciate how hard and how difficult this was to do everything on the road. Now they put themselves in this spot, but it's freaking hard to get to the college world series. It almost made it harder on themselves and they got it done. Um, it's, it's still kind of impressive when you consider the, the amount of quality baseball teams that will not be heading to Omaha, Nebraska, much like, um, or, or, you know, last year when, when a lot of national seeds get beat, it, it's just hard. It really is. And to your point, the number two and three seeds, as you're talking about, and as we were recording this, the Stanford UConn game is wrapping up and it does appear that it, uh, Stanford will force a, a decisive game three, but both the number two and the three seed, I mean, Oregon State's going to have to win twice. Uh, they haven't yes. just now getting started as, as I'm talking right now, but like, Stanford going to have to win twice. Like they're going to finish off this one and have to win another one. You're right. It is very difficult. And that's why people don't necessarily want to hear this. And I don't mean to like dismiss the postseason struggles in the Bianco era is solely this, but man, one in five in a super is almost like a statistical anomaly. Like it's, it's, it, that's, that's, if you played it so out. You can't before, not have some it. bad luck in there. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, that's just hard to have happen. And yes, some of it is on him. Um, but the, I mean, some of it is just like, golly, like, I mean, I think you said something about the law of averages earlier. You think the law of averages would eventually be on their side. And uh, they were this time. It's, I mean, Bianco deserves a lot of credit. This is arguably, probably, definitely, actually, this is his best coaching job. Strictly from the standpoint of, I, I've, I've had a trouble uh, reconciling with this because I thought in 2016, he did a really nice coaching job getting that team, which yeah. should have been a top eight national seed. And that team wasn't that good. Um, 2015 was a really good coaching job. That team wasn't good at all, and they got into the NCAA tournament um, a year after going to Omaha. As bad as they struggled in the regular season, it, it's weird to me in some ways to call it a great coaching job, but I, I end, where I end up landing on this is, one, the way he developed the pitching staff, but, two, keeping the team motivated and still together when they were seven and 14 nearly were run ruled by SEMO to where you're having Brandon Johnson and Ben Van Cleve speak to the team. And those guys deserve some credit in that too, but it ultimately all falls on the head coach and the coaching staff, keeping them together with everything that was on the line, his future included being the main part of that, keeping them together throughout all of that when it looked so bad. I mean, we, <laughs> I, I enjoy this podcast and I enjoy our listeners because it's very interactive. We're not necessarily pushing Joe Rogan numbers yet, but we got people that we got a pretty rabid audience that likes to interact. And that's part of what makes this fun. I, I felt like I was about to, when I was telling you at seven and 14 after uh, the Arkansas series ended, and I was like, I will right, we'll check in every now and again, but there's no point in having you come on twice a week to say the same things over and over again. I felt like I was breaking up the band. Like we were all done. This was all over with to keep them together through all of that. It was, remarkable and that's where I end up landing when talking about the coaching job for him I do think it's a great coaching job from that perspective under all of that pressure too yeah no it, it is a great coaching job and it's hard to it's hard to categorize it right because like he's also culpable for what happened in the first seven series of SEC play um, and that they had to go on this magical run to, to get into the tournament and then you know go on this run on the road is, is, is part partly because they were so bad and, and, and that is um, as the head coach, that is on him, but it's also on him that they got to the College World Series for the second time in his tenure, too. So it's, it's hard to categorize just how, how, how much impact throughout the season or, or how great of a job he's done. But when you, when you, you know, on the micro specify it to one the last month, it's probably his best coaching job in a one-month window ever. Um, like you said, to keep this team together, to, to have them believe, um, you know, um, even after – 
you know, a, a seven and 14 start. Um, it's impressive. And, and those kids, I think, you know, and we did it. We, we questioned their toughness at times. And, and, and I think some of them. The moment. Yeah. Against SEMO that, that you can't tell me that team was playing as hard as they could. You, you can't, you can't convince me of that. Um, but they, they fought their guts out for the last month. They have fought their guts out and now they have put themselves in a, in a tournament and, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, that quite frankly, I'm not going to be shocked if they win it. Now, I'm not projecting on this one the national title, but I am telling you right now, with that, to their side of that bracket, I will not be shocked if this team finds itself playing for a national title. <laughs> it's, it really I won't be shocked. For Tennessee. I wouldn't either. There, it's, I'll put, ask it to you this way. Knowing, not knowing the result of Oregon State and UConn, uh, mm-hmm. Oregon State, Auburn, and UConn, mm-hmm. Stanford, with Tennessee out, is there a team – and I get that you don't have to beat every team twice. I'm well aware of that. But just for the sake of the argument, I think the best way to ask it is this. Is there a team that Ole Miss cannot beat twice? No. Um, no. I agree. Uh, it's, well, here's my thing, right? Okay. I want to, here's why I want to play Auburn so bad. Because I think Dylan DeLucia can beat Auburn. Um, he didn't, beating Hajerpe from, from Morgan State will be a tall path. But they win – on Saturday night in Omaha or Saturday afternoon, whichever one it is, is you go hand that ball to the same kid that just went to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I don't care who they're playing. I don't care if it's the Cubs, the Yankees, the Dodgers. I'm going to hand him the ball and be like, well, we're winning today. Um, because they just kind of win when Hunter Elliott pitches. That's kind of what they do recently. So, um, you know, if you can win on Saturday, you're handing the cat to the, 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 the cat the ball that has dominated two – Pretty decent, number six and the number 11 seed um, with a chance to be one game away from the national title. So that's why I think this team's got a shot, man. You're going to hand the ball to a really good pitcher in Dylan DeLucia, and then if he wins, you're going to hand the ball to a guy that's just been flat unbeatable the past month. And with the way the bullpen depth is, when you get to that third game, I don't know what the rest situation will be or what Michael decide to do. But- so, yeah, and that, that'll be interesting because the, the tournament has been shrunk this year. They play – it usually starts on Saturday, but it, it, is, it, it starts on Friday this year. Ole Miss will start on Saturday. And the schedule is you play Saturday, you play Monday. The one-and-one game is on Tuesday. And then the final two games of the bracket are on Wednesday and Thursday. So they are not – it's not near as spaced out as it usually is. And whether they go back to Delusia or whatever it would be, my point was just you've established this bullpen depth. You can get real length out of a lot of guys as long as he doesn't leave Derek Diamond in the game to face the second time through the order <laughs> again. No one had yeah. to see that this weekend. But I mean, they, they went through – Brandon Johnson didn't pitch this weekend. They used Mallet's yeah. authority, and that was it. And so they, they have the ability to, even if you get past those two, to piece together a really competitive and a really tough game for an opponent from a pitching standpoint beyond Elliott, depending beyond Elliott and Delucia, depending on how the first two games go, of course. But the fact that they have that depth back there is also something that's been surprising about this whole thing, because I don't know. I mean, last year had better front end starting pitching probably at least on paper, but it was Doherty. And how the hell do you get the game to Taylor Broadway? That's not even close to the case with this group. No, no, it's not. It's um, well. I mean, that was the thing today, right? Is is like Elliot gets through six. I'm like, what well, do you just go to Mallets here? I get like Elliot's dominating them, but so was Josh Mallets, and Josh Mallets dominated again. I don't know if he threw. I seriously don't know. I'll go back. I'm gonna go back and watch the entire game probably multiple times because I don't have anything to do. Um, I don't know if Josh Mallets has thrown a fastball in his last two outings. 
he just throws this nasty slider that you can't do anything about, and, and it is impressive. Um, so, no, you've, you've got bullpen depth. You've got Jack Doherty really, really good the other day. Um, and, obviously, Nichols, Johnson, and Mallett you have full confidence in. And then I think John Gaddis and Jack, Jack Washburn can give you a, 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 an outing. I, I think Jack Washburn really, really plays in Omaha because I think he's going to throw a bunch of fly balls, and a bunch of fly balls in that park is very, very good for uh, success. So, I don't know. I, I, I just have a weird feeling about this team that, that they're going to have some fun out there and at least make this interesting because they've got the pieces to do it without a shadow of a doubt. Josh Mallett has gone now gone one, two, three, four, five, six outings in a row without allowing an earned run. His last time he allowed to earn run was April 23rd against Mississippi State. Yeah, yeah. He's it allowed – he he's got a score with any each – every one of his outings except for looks like two has gone over an inning, most of them over two. He has allowed earned runs in two of 15 outings this year. Two. One of them was a two-run homer against South Carolina. I don't remember the Mississippi State piece of it, but outside of that, he has not allowed an opponent to score an earned run uh, this year. Uh, he has one outing where he's allowed the opponent to collect more than two hits. Yeah, uh, he's really good. He's really, really good. And Ole Miss isn't here without him because what he did against Arizona, um, what he did against Texas A&M, um, you know, what he did to finish off LSU and Baton Rouge, really, really impressive. And, and, you know, I know we take some grief because, you know, we kind of – people think we were getting on the kid last year and we weren't. We are getting on Mike. And, and yeah, people don't understand the in. joke now. Like, and I'm tired – I don't yeah. even bother explaining it anymore. It's not a Josh Mallets. It's not a dig at Josh Mallets. It's a joke slash a dig at Mike. Yeah, it's like why, why in God's name is he still putting this kid in the game? It's not his fault. It's kind of the same thing with Diamond that we say. It's like it is not Derek Diamond's fault that Derek Diamond is left in the game too much. That is not his fault. We are not uh, demeaning that kid. It is uh, the fault of, you know, someone else, but um, not going there today. Uh, how nice was it that, that this program didn't have to play a game? I could not have handled a game three. I couldn't have. I, 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 so, I, for, for clarity, I'm going to a basketball camp tomorrow with our high school team. We were going to be on the bus during game three. I was going to hand my phone to an assistant coach, not watch and go to sleep and then wake up and get the result. That would have been some tough sledding on the pod, but I, I, I suppose. I suppose. There, I, I, I'm not going to say which one. There is another game three that I haven't watched, and it did not go well for the Rebels. It, uh, well, so in all of this, in a lot of ways, that, I mean, you talk about the parallels and everything. It's history making in a lot of ways. Bianco had never had a team go win a road regional, and they've never made it through a super in two games. Uh, it gets. No. They're doing things in the postseason that they'd never done. And it's like this team absolutely just wet its pants for 80% of the regular season, 70% of the regular season. And then it's just blitzing teams. They've outscored opponents 46 to uh, 11. They've allowed one run to a team. Not they've played one competitive ever. game. Well, two, two competitive games in the past three haven't been competitive. Um, that, that's the surprising the, yeah. Oh, sorry. Finish your thought. Go ahead. No, I just that's all I was saying. But, but, if I was making sure I was right. Yeah, the last three games have not been pretty competitive. I know the game today, the score was, I guess, within reason, but at no point did you think Southern was going to make a run. And the, I don't say the most surprising part, but this is sort of off of what I wrote last week is that the thing that maybe is the most, maybe the reason that, like, for doubt, like, that maybe I didn't think they'd get through a regional, or if I didn't think they'd get to a super or through a super 
if someone had to ask me what the reason was, well, it's like, well, maybe they won a game, but eventually against one of the top end arms, they weren't able to do it. The way they had, the way they were able to scratch out a win against, uh, was it Palmquist for Miami? Yeah. And then Tanner Hall today is the kind of toughness from the offense yep. and having the pitching to match it up on the other side that I didn't think they could necessarily piece together when they entered the postseason. They didn't have a great day against Palmquist, but they took advantage of the opportunity of one opportunity. Tim Elko scored hit the two run double when they had an opening and they slammed the door pitching wise. And today they missed a couple opportunities in the first inning, but they kept putting pressure on him and kept doing it and kept doing it. And they were just better against the best another team had to offer. And you haven't seen that a lot from this team for most of the season. And that's, to me, if you're ranking the reasons why this all looks different, that's, that's number one seed. And I don't know what else fills out the bracket. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, just remarkable on the mound. And then like you've talked about that, they've seized opportunities, man. It's, um, it's so one of the most impressive things I've seen of an Ole Miss sports team do. That this run was was remarkable. It's um, it's it, it's a lot of credit to a lot of high character kids and and Tim Elko and Justin Bench and Kevin Graham and and, and Hayden uh, Dunhurst to just got it done. And and it's fun to see. And and this team's not done. I'll, I'll say that. I I don't think. I don't think this team's just happy to get to Omaha. Just, just kind of from reading some things and, and watching how they react. Yeah, they're happy that like, hey, they're, they're, you know, all this work and, and their goal um, of getting to Omaha has come to fruition. But um, I think they're going out there with a chance to win. And, and like you said, they they've got the horses to do it. It's um, I'll say this too. Um, Ole Miss has has had their shots at going to the College World Series over the you know in, in, in eighteen, nineteen, and twenty one. I don't expect that it'll be eight years before they go back this time. I, I, I think this is going to now that you know there, it's been a, it's a two-time thing and not a one-time thing. I think this is a situation where I think there's some freedom, and I, I expect this program to be pretty much at super regionals at least two out of every three years. And I think they'll start winning super regionals at a normal rate instead of you know two out of every eight. I'm with you on that part as well. And you talk about the the. You're talking about this team not being done yet. I'm with you. I Look, I don't think necessarily the 14 team was just happy to get to Omaha, but that, that oh. wasn't necessarily like one of his – I won't say one of – it was definitely in top six, top five, his most talented team. But that wasn't – like that team didn't have the expectations of this team placed on them from the preseason. Maybe they did from a Bianco job standpoint, but I don't yeah. remember looking at that 14 team and being like, they should be here no matter what. And – there was the novelty of getting there for the first time in the Bianco era. And then they lose that first game, a tough one against Virginia. I forget that kid's name that Virginia started really, really good. Kirby. You know, when you lose the first game, it's, I guess it's not necessarily a death sentence, but it's close to it. It's really hard to make it through after that. And so that there felt like there was a novelty there and it was almost like a celebration of kind of finally knocking down the door, even though they won a couple game, couple games to the losers bracket. This feels way different. I mean, every time they've gotten asked a couple of times, I think Elko and then there was a shot and quote in there. It could be someone else, but I think it was shot to where they got asked about, you know, winning the region or whatever. And they're like, yeah, well, I'd, I'd like to win the first national title here. Like they, they've mentioned that a couple of times. And so I'm with you as well. I think they were excited to do it today, but there was very much a vibe of, uh, job not done yet. Whereas I remember talking to Orvis and uh, Austin Anderson, actually hot topic of discussion there for that story I did on Perdzak a while back. And they spent the night at whatever hotel they were staying at kind of drinking. And it felt like uh, 
I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that. They're, they're all too old now. It doesn't matter. Spoiler alert, college kids drank beer after they made it to Omaha. But it felt like a celebration of finally knocking down the door. This does not feel like that. This team feels like they are uh, far from done as well. I'm picking up the same vibe as you. It's, uh, it's going to be fun to watch. So I went in 2014, and, and my plan right now is I'm going to pray they went on Saturday and then go on Monday. Um, but I'm kind of excited because I haven't, I haven't seen like and it's kind of like a novelty thing that you watch Omaha every year, but I haven't seen Ole Miss on the TV in Omaha. I'm kind of excited just to see that because it's – look, I get it. The Sweet 16 and, and making it should be a bigger deal than what it is, but there is a novelty aspect of seeing your team in the College World Series that I am looking forward to enjoying on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, they. I only remember it once, and I was a freshman in college when it happened, and I was definitely viewing it from a <laughs> – different vantage point on a number of different levels, but you're right. It's the program exposure too. And that leads us into the second part of what you're talking about. Mike Bianco. Uh, I think you can probably uh, extinguish the message board. Thread. Yeah. I think, I think we, so uh, we have listener questions to get to at the tail end. I think it was an ironic question, but uh, we got a question that said, what does he have to do in Omaha to keep his job? I think that was talking. Exist. I would hope so. It just but exists. I, I think you're right. And, Look, I mean, look, the, the only knock on him aside from, you know, some bunting stuff and lineup construct and a couple of in-game decisions was the postseason results weren't there. And he gets the second one, and I, I'm with you. I think the results will start to come more often. I, I don't think Ole Miss will go another eight years out getting to the College World Series just because he's been consistently on the doorstep for a half decade now, from 18 to 22, they have been on the doorstep every time. Yes, you had the Black Monday in 18, but they were one of the best teams, best teams in the country. And we're going to play Omaha, or excuse me, play in Oxford all the way up until Omaha. Like they, they've been in the mix every single year. And so I think the results are going to come too now. And in a sport that doesn't have a ton of absolutes, right? Like this, I feel like this is what a lot of Ole Miss fans long for is with Bianco, it felt absolute if they were a road team in a regional they weren't making it through if they were a home team well you just hold on to your butts and hope you can win five games and you know disaster doesn't happen this was finally a team barely getting in taking advantage of the moment and just plowing through a regional and a super regional on the road and like that's more common in college baseball than maybe the Ole Miss fan is accustomed to just because of the way the Mike Bianco postseason part of it has played out I'm with you. I think the results are going to start to happen more. And if they do, I don't know what else you can ask for in a baseball coach at a place with 11.7 scholarships. He's in there in the mix every year. And if the postseason results fall in Ole Miss's favor more often than they have, what what else can you, what else can you ask for? Yeah. Yeah. It's his team's never. No. And and, the, and and partly that's so that's what's kind of funny. Um, if if there's one thing that I'll say, like, hey, I really really got this wrong. When we were they were seven and fourteen. I get it, like the feeling around the program. Pronouncing them dead was probably a pretty was probably pretty premature because over twenty one years because he gets so the precedent before the, today was what he can't get to Omaha. Well, the precedent also was like they never suck. So he will figure that part out. Um, and that's probably on me for counting this team out. Um, and, and thinking that this was going to go to hell because there's no precedent that says Mike Bianco is going to have a team that is bad at baseball. Um, and so, you know, he, he, they go on this magical run, and um, now I'm looking at Airbnb prices at Omaha, Nebraska, and, and they are not – you know, Airbnb used to get a deal. Not, not really in the deal business now for Airbnb. 
I think that Airbnb people in certain locations have gotten smart. It's almost like when Uber came out with the surge. I'm like, oh, this used to be a deal. Now it's not really depending on where you're at. But like with the mic part of it, okay, maybe it was a little premature, but they were quite literally three losses away from being mathematically eliminated from the postseason. Right. Like they weren't getting in at 13 and seven things. Like, was it? So, and that's part of this turnaround. And I think that's the one of the more remarkable pieces of it is this team, look, there are teams that underachieve and finally catch a hot streak and then go on to make a postseason run or what? I'm not even talking sports centric. You see that all the time. Very rarely what you see is a team change its DNA. And this team's DNA went from they squander opportunity to, my God, if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And you don't see that very often. And I, not, I don't even know if this example works, but it, in some ways it reminds me of the Boston Celtics. Um, the last couple of years they've been underwhelming and disappointing in the regular season, and then you hold out hope that it's going to change in the postseason. And it just doesn't. Boston Celtics were like 21 and 21 at one point in December this year. And it's like, okay, this team, they just like something's wrong with their DNA. They just got to blow it up. And now they're, you know, two wins away from an NBA championship. Like very rarely do you see a team change its DNA midseason. And Ole Miss somehow has done it all the way to um, the College World Series. And that's what makes this remarkable is not just they finally reached their potential. They won games and were tougher than they looked at a large portion of uh, points in the regular season. I, I just don't feel like you see that as often in sports. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's 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 crazy. Is this the most improbable thing that that Ole Miss athletics has done since since you've been following it? I'm probably missing something, but I think so because yeah. it's not even just the fact that they did it. They just it was with relative ease. They, I, Absolutely blazed through all of this. They didn't lose a game. They outscored opponents 40 to 11. It's 46 to 11. It's not just that they did it. They absolutely tore through it. Did they get a little bit of a favorable draw? Yeah, absolutely. I think they did. Um, and hey, like, uh, but, I, but they, they, they should apologize for that. Ole Miss has gotten screwed on breaks in the past, right? So, like, I, I'm not necessarily discounting it by any stretch. I'm just pointing out that, like, the most surprising part of it is that they just absolutely blitzkrieg teams. Um, BZ just quote tweeted you, by the way. Um, but yeah, no, it's, they just beat the crap out of people. It's, um, I don't know. I've never not sweated during an Ole Miss Super Regional game. Not once, not once have I never, once, not once have I not sweated during a Super Regional game. And Ole Miss yesterday was just like, you know what? We're going to be up 10 and, uh, we're going to, we're going to, you know, use two pitchers and get out of here a lot. It's, it's the best. I'll say it like this. It's the best I've seen an Ole Miss team play in June, um, and that includes the 2014 team. Um, obviously, you know, there's only really two options, but I think even they were playing even better than the 14 team was, and, and I think quite truly this team may be a little bit more talented than the 14 team was. I think you could certainly make that argument. And if, if – I mean, I think the difference is, is what these two starting pitchers have turned into because the offense, it's not even really a question. That was a good offense in 14, but it's not what this one can be. And so I think that's – I think you're right there. Um, I did see our guy BZ just quote tweet us. He wanted, we'll get to the first-round matchups. We got something. I hope he's having a good night. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm happy. I, I'm is, genuinely – just as a person, I'm genuinely happy for a lot of people in that family. Absolutely. I mean, I, he's a friend of mine. He's a great guy. But, like, even just the fact that he's a Bianco family member, um, breaking news there, I just – it has to feel good for them. Like, it's – it's in that uh, to tie it back into the, the Mike part of it, 
I, my hope is, of all the joking aside of Mike giving me ass chewings through the years, it's some people will bristle at this, but in some ways he's vast. In some ways he's very maddening, but in a lot of ways he's vastly underappreciated for the type of program he's built for the scholarship resources that he has. And my my thought process would be if the postseason results continue to come, and I think even just starting with this Omaha trip, maybe this one will help people appreciate more what he is as a baseball coach and what he's done and the model of consistency he's built through two decades. Because if you want to be perfectly frank about it, in the history of the sport, you're probably not having to get past two hands and maybe a hand and a half in terms of counting the type of programs that someone's built for over two decades for this model of consistency. Can you name 10 of them? You might could name seven, um, no more than that. Yeah. No, it, and, that and, that's the kind of air that he's in. And if he can sneak in another Omaha trip or two over the next couple of years, his resume looks a lot different. And honestly, he will be properly appreciated, I would think, and hope to some degree. Yeah. Um, just, just, yeah, like we said, happy for him because in that family because look I, I get it and I understood the frustration I want to be clear I understood the frustration um in in March and April what I didn't really understand was well two things people wanting him to almost to fire him during the middle of the year and people asked like I remember people asking Chase and them, why aren't we putting up a hot, hot board it's like well because they're not dead um you know and then and, and then what advantage would that give you too what is firing then, Mike in April at seven and fourteen? What is not letting it play? You're right. Nothing. What does that do? Yeah. Other than and really then, just kind of, uh, I mean, honestly, it's, it would be kind of a cheap shot to a guy that built one hell of a program. There's yeah. no way I can see it. And then you know those that were rooting for Ole Miss to lose, and there were some some people wanting the Ole Miss to lose so that they could get a new coach. I, I don't know. And look, more power to you. You can do whatever you want, but um, just seeing see. Seeing Tim Elko get to finish his career in Omaha is worth more to, to me than, than thinking that I need a new baseball coach. Like, getting to see that kid take the field in Omaha after everything he's gone through, for sitting the bench for two years, from, you know, having the start in 2020 that was unreal, playing through a torn ACL, then, come you know, turning down draft overtures and coming back for his senior year. Um, and he gets to play in the college world series. No, no, no. That that that's more important to me than thinking I, that that Ole Miss needs a new baseball coach. Um, and they don't, obviously. Um, yeah, it's just just happy for a lot of people. I'm happy for Mike Clement. Um, he was 0 and three in super regionals. He had lost to Kansas State, the two at Ole Miss. Obviously, he gets to coach in the college world series. I'm happy for you know Carl Lafferty and all of those guys. Like, hey, they're they're going to be in Oxford for as long as they want to be here. Um, because there's not really any pressure. It's crazy how one game or, or two, two out of three series matters so much, but it does. And I'm not saying that's unfair, but um, from a job security standpoint, you went from, hey, uh, you might have to put your house on Zillow to like, ah, you're probably good for three or four years now. Uh, yeah, and that thing is, from a human aspect, that's, that's, that's always, it's, it's good to see because I think in this cutthroat business, business, you always, you sometimes forget that these guys are humans. And the part of the mic piece of it too, and look, it's hard to find nuance on message boards and social media, but the, the part of it that was interesting to me was the criticism of Mike, and I think this is part of why he was so relaxed throughout the most of the year, at least public facing, was there was no criticism of what he was doing in season. It wasn't like he's holding the team back for not playing X guy or this pitching move or whatever. 
it was the fact that the team was drastically underperforming uh, in, uh, against expectations and just playing really bad baseball when they were supposed to be really good, which was nothing he could really control. The criticism felt like a culmination of, one, whatever the LSU thing is and that people were upset about that, but two, just a culmination of postseason's past and their frustration with that. And I just say – I say all that to say my point was it's like there's nothing he could have done this year. Like them being 7-14 and 14 in a vacuum was not his fault. Like he, he couldn't really do no. anything else. It was just the culmination of – okay, I get it at a certain point, one Omaha trip in 22 years or 23 years, like sometimes things go stale and sometimes it's just time for a change. Kind of almost like a la Andy Kennedy in some ways, but on a much different scale. And I, that part is fair, but I just didn't understand some of the in-season criticism of him because it's like, what else do you want him to do? And I think that's why he was so relaxed because I think he got to a point where it's like, maybe this team is good. Um, and luckily that turned out to be wrong. And I'll close with this piece of it was – the. Ole Miss fans, whatever you think about if you're in the camp that wanted a new coach, buddy, let me tell you, there's a lot more – there's a much higher percentage a lot worse. that the job could go – that it could get worse than better than Mike Bianco. I think it's a slam dunk, whether it's Dan McDonald, Butch Thompson, whatever. Those guys I think would do well at Ole Miss, but there's no guarantee. And so it's almost like appreciate what you have because when you leave it up to chance, it, it, there's a hell of a lot – there's a much greater chance it would be worse than better. Yep, and, and that was always worrisome to me if Ole Miss ever did go down that road. And, and so, thankfully, this does two things, um, for at least for me, unless, you know, it goes haywire again, and I don't think it will. Mike Bianco will retire at the University of Mississippi, and when he does, you're not going to have to wonder, well, will, will coaches not want to come here because you fired a guy that they perceive is, is one of the best baseball coaches in the country. I just – look, losing two of three this weekend would have been worst-case scenario but winning two or three is best-case scenario. It was to that point for this program. And I don't know, and thankfully we'll never find out what was going to happen if they had lost two this weekend. Um, I'm thankful we'll never know. But, but you know, it's happy for a lot of people this weekend, man, but, but none more than the guy wearing five in the dugout. I, you know, I've had my qualms and, and issues with some coaching management stuff, but um, I think we all have. I think that's part of baseball, but – there, there is a respect level for a guy that, that's built this program into what it is over 22 years and is now going to the College World Series twice. It's um, Look, Ole Miss is one of the better programs in college baseball. And there's one person that's the, the constant in that, and, and he deserves a hell of a lot of credit for what, what this program is and what happened today. We had boots on the ground in terms of podcast listenership in uh, in Hattiesburg, and a listener sent me a photo of Mike as the last man on the field. Um, and it was Can actually, kind of, what'd you say? Can you send me that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll send you the photo. It's kind of a cool photo. And what's interesting about it is, and I'm actually just looking at it again and putting pieces together. So I, uh, I drove from after the game ended, I drove from my place in Dallas to, uh, MC's place in Fort Worth. And I listened to Kellum in the post game on the drive home. And I was actually really looking forward to that. I was like, I'm, I made it a point to do that. And Kellum said, um, I think he – I don't know if he said there's Mike out there on the field or we'll get Mike in a minute, but he appears to be on the phone. He's probably talking to his dad, um, who I don't think made the trip. And, like, I don't know. I just picture Mike in that moment. That has to be really cool. It's it's a photo of him just last one standing on the field. He appears to be on the phone. Um, and, you know, I don't think his dad made the trip, but that had to be a cool moment. But also, on a lighter note, do you think he was walking around looking for someone to yell at because he was surprised at how easy that was? Like, I wonder if Mike tonight – I think he's a wine guy. 
I wonder if he poured a glass of wine and was like, well, shit, that was easy. Like, <laughs> I just, there was such little resistance and they dominated that region. I just wonder if he anticipated that being a lot harder than it had to be because he didn't have to do a whole lot. And I don't mean yeah, that to like, take away from him, but it was just, my offense was awesome. I had two great starting pitchers and I handed it to two sturdy bullpen guys. And that was it. Like that had to be one of the easiest postseasons of all time for him. Easily the easiest. Do you, is he like sitting there? It's like, wow, they didn't make me do anything. Or he's probably sitting there thinking like, well, this is all it takes to win super regionals. It's not that hard. Is it? Um, Part of me wanted to be like, if him walking around out there, like, what do you mean the game's over? <laughs> that was it. Like that's all he had to do. In the in the ninth inning, when when they got the first two guys out, I'm like, are there? Is there? Because the the thought going through my mind is someone who's been burned so many freaking times was, how are they going to get through this without enduring an absolute crapload of hell to get there? And then I'm like, oh, I guess they're not because this kid's not hitting mallets, and the kid pops up to three one pitch. And how cool was it that Elko gets to record the last out? Um, man, just. It was, it was, it was, I'll say this is a guy that's, I'm 29 now. Um, wow, I'm getting old. It was, it was probably the coolest day as, a, as an Ole Miss fan from, a, from, from an Ole Miss fan perspective that I've had. Um, obviously, the 14 was cool, but I just thought this one, and, and you may disagree with me here, um, just from a program turmoil standpoint, I thought winning this one was the most important one for the program just because everything, every fire is extinguished now. It validates what he's built, and it, it kind of proved that, no, this isn't stale. We just needed something to go our way in some degrees, and it's not as simple as that, of course, but I definitely agree. And so I, I had a couple – here's some Big J notes here. So why has Elko become statue guy? And I don't mean that in that way, but like, like in like a bad way, because I think Elko is one of the most important players and one of the greatest hitters in Ole Miss history, but the statue thing. Like people debate LeBron James, Michael Jordan, greatest – basketball player of all time people are like Marshall Henderson hell of a lot of fun to watch I don't remember there being a, as much statue rhetoric as there's been in the past what is the what is, is our statues back in a big way I don't understand like what is it what is the statue infatuation I I'm not opposed to it I'm not hating on the idea I've just become amused at everyone's like when's the statue going up like why why is everyone so focused on a bust of Tim Elko like you, you could retire his number you can plaster his face on the jumbotron for all I care. I'm just, I'm curious why we settled on statue, but actually I'll pitch it to you first. I have an idea after that, but do you understand why we've gone? So we, we pivoted to statues in a big way. Um, I don't, I don't, but you know, I'm in on it. I'll say that um, you've, you've hit home runs in game seven of a regional and a torn ACL and hit 22 bombs and go to Omaha as a senior. I mean, build whatever. They can build a statue. They can build a museum. I don't really care at this point. Um, might want to put Hunter Elliott and Dylan Delucia in it too, though. If, okay, here's a statue idea. Could you do – one of the moments that stuck out to me today was when he caught the last out and he raised his arms in the air. Could that be the statue pose? I thought. Oh, that was yes. Pretty, he's got the mustache. That was pretty dope. The ball's in his hand and his arms just go straight up in the air. Like he goes nuts and celebrates after that, but it was almost like a half second of like an exhale almost. Yeah, yeah. That would uh, that'd definitely be the statue pose. It felt like a runner, like, finishing the Boston Marathon or something. Can, it, does Mike get a statue yet? Are people ready to broach that topic? So people get nice really fight. passionate about that. Um, if, you, if, you, if someone says they should build a statue in front, people get, like, really pissy or, or before today. And I don't really have an opinion on that. But, like, people get extremely upset. They're like, no, he doesn't deserve a statue. I'm like, 
it's a statue. Who, who, who cares? Where's the committee on that? Like, who decides that? <laughs> who decides people? Can I get in on that? Like, is there like I, a? So you have a Hall of Fame committee. Do you have a statue committee? I, I'm works? down to start one. If anyone would like to start one, I don't know if we'd have any governing power, but I would love to sit in a room. So could we, me and you, be on the committee? Like a plaque, but no statue. We could be on the committee. I think we would both build one of Holt Herzog. Yes, I think that would go on there. Um, maybe Christian Trent patting his left shoulder and saying, "This <laughs> is right here. I got this." There's a couple of good ones through the years. I mean. I, <laughs> we've probably gotten too far down the statue rabbit hole, but like, I mean, LSU has like a bust of Mike outside the stadium as a player. Um, like the, yeah. the Ole Miss could fork over. Would he be the only person that has a statue outside of two SEC stadiums? I would assume that would have to be the case, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I have, I'm not big on statue history. Um, I, I know of Mount Rushmore and a couple others that I've seen throughout the years, but I'm not big into statue history. I would assume that that is the case. So maybe we can get uh, maybe, I don't know if anyone in the sculptor community out there um, would like to uh, like to get to work on that, but I have some blueprint ideas of a Mike statue if anyone wants to consult me on that. So we'll close with that. We get him yelling at you as the statue. That I thought about that, but I didn't want to ruin his moment. I thought about him in his signature pose where he has his arms crossed, but his thumbs are up, um, up under his armpits. Um, I thought about one with him a couple centimeters away from an umpire. Um, you have to have the sunglasses on. Um, I thought about speaking one of umpires. Maybe speaking him of umpires, did uh did 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 you laugh out loud when Gilbert got tossed on Friday night? I just. You know what? Why don't we just do that now? We'll do. We'll, we'll sure. Go we'll take, take a break. We we can react to everything else. The, the, you you teased the Tennessee piece of this earlier. My God, karma is undefeated. I just I, game knows. I was at a Mexican restaurant on Friday night, and I had watched four, the first five innings of that Notre Dame game, and then the I missed the ejection. We were like sitting down to eat, and I got a couple of texts from like, "Did you see that?" And I was like, "No." It's like he's clear as day said that's effing awful go f your like f you or go f yourself i or thought that's what he said I, I just, I, apparently what he said was that's effing terrible and then he turned around and says effing terrible again that's what i was told he said but still i just like the the, the tennessee thing I, I keep using the new money example but it's just like the new money guy in any industry who just doesn't get it and like thinks he should take credit for everything that's ever happened in said industry before or since because he happened to hit it big for a short stretch. Like it's just, I don't understand it. Like if you've watched college baseball for a year or two years or hell, 15 games, I don't know. You can't yell that an umpire. If you're a college player, you cannot argue balls and strikes one. They'll give you a little bit more leeway in the postseason that we've seen where guys look back at umpires and maybe ask them a question or like slightly shake their head. You can't yell the F word at an umpire and then walk off and expect something to happen. And the, the, the golf of that kid to turn around and act stunned, he got thrown out of the game. And he looked at him like, you threw me out for that? It's like, yes, I threw you out for that. Like, what do you What you think? I mean, what did you think was going to happen? Well, and so I'll say this, and you tell me if you disagree with me, and I want an honest opinion. Um, the umpiring crew was not an SEC crew. It was not a Southern crew. It was a crew from out West. And they've seen all the stuff on Twitter. Kyle Peterson alluded to this. Two things on that. One, they've seen all that crap, and they knew going in, we're not dealing with it. Um, and two, this could have been addressed earlier in the year because the reason that happened is because they've done that crap all year, 
and nobody did anything to them. Nobody said, hey, we're going to stop this. We're throwing it out. Nobody did anything from the SEC. They just let them do it. And then they get this all-empowering crew from the Big West or wherever they are, and they're like, I'm not screwing with these cats. I will throw somebody out of here. Um, the SEC could have fixed this if they wanted to, and I hope that next year I don't have to watch that nonsense for Tennessee for 30 SEC games. Surely someone from the SEC office is going to step in and say, y'all better chill out. That's a terrific point, and I hadn't really thought about it through that lens, is that it really was kind of enabled, right? The only thing that happened to Tennessee throughout the year was Vitello getting suspended for, I don't know, chest-bumping an umpire. He didn't get suspended for hurling a bat at uh, the Auburn dugout-ish area as they're celebrating a home run, because God forbid someone bat flip on Tennessee. It's not like they do that to the opponent. It, you're right. I mean, I never thought about it like that. It really was kind of enabled. But on the flip side of that is, I'm sure you're right in terms of the Big West crew probably not taking it, but I don't even know the best example. Columbia, bunch of Ivy League kids. If Columbia had done that, that guy's getting tossed immediately. Like, it doesn't matter who. You, you can't do that. And so I'm just the, – like, it's almost like what planet do you people live on? Like, have you ever played this sport before or ever watched this sport? You can't do that. I mean, look, I, I, I guess I can't say this with confidence, but, like, could you do that as a major league player? Could you say that would no. be terrible twice and looking the guy in the face? Maybe you muttered under your breath walking back to the dugout. But you can't look the guy in the eye, say that, and then expect nothing to happen. I just – it's 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 almost like when Tennessee got down and started losing games. Oh, they got tight. It was like today. everyone else's fault. Like, it, yep. it's like they should be able. To, it's almost like a child that's throwing a tantrum because they're losing a game. It's it, it's it's really unprecedented. And I, I tweeted this on Friday. I was just like, I don't really get bothered by this. I still found them to be an entertaining heel in the sport. I thought it was hilarious that everyone was rooting against them, but like. It went beyond that. Like, flipping the outfield off as you're rounding first on a double is, one, a loser move because you didn't hit it over the fence. But, two, it's just like you look like a jackass. Like, it, it does, I think bat flips are awesome. I thought the one, the Mike Concho guy, whatever the guy's name is, nickname is Mike Concho, when he chest, like he uh, hit his chest with the bat and slammed it down. Some people get mad at that. I actually thought that was kind of cool. But, like, all the other stuff is just over the top. It's just a bunch of jackasses. And it came in the absence of accomplishment. If they were defending a national title or something. Oh, sure. Okay, maybe I get some of it. But what did they do other than win a bunch of regular season games? And I would say their biggest accomplishment was making Vanderbilt seem likable. Yeah, well, that's so, so that's the interesting part of this, right? Because there were some people on Twitter that are doing, the, oh, Tennessee's good for baseball. Okay. Well, here's my issue. You had Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, um, and Auburn fans, and probably everyone throughout the country coming together and rooting for Notre Dame. Like, this wasn't the University or, or Kennesaw State. This was Notre Dame, who people generally outside of the Notre Dame fan base don't really like. That is how unlikable Tennessee baseball has become. And, and I get it. Like, yeah. People watched them because they hated them, and that's good for the game and all that stuff. But I don't think you want to encourage – maybe I'm crazy. I don't think you want to encourage the way Tennessee play, baseball played this year and think that's okay. I really – look, Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Arkansas and Auburn and Vanderbilt and Florida and – I think I said Arkansas, Texas A&M, they all play with fire. They all play with intensity. And, frankly, sometimes those teams border the line of going too far. 
none of them act like Tennessee because they have all of them have a coach with a spine that would look that, that look if Mike Bianco I'm just trying to think of a kid if Peyton Chatnier said what Drew Gilbert said to an umpire Peyton Chatnier would have been suspended for a while like Mike Bianco would have that, that wouldn't have just been an NCAA suspension I guess is my point that that would have been something that would have taken up in tears because you're embarrassing the program at that point. But you have a coach that doesn't necessarily find that to be embarrassing is the difference there. And you're you're exactly right too. And like it's it's something, man. I, I get I, I get the aspect. I mean, we made fun of that column that that guy from Outkick wrote. Oh my god. Thinking uh everyone should thank Tennessee for putting single handedly putting college baseball on the map. Like, well, have you seen the attendance at you know name the SEC program lately? Like like, this existed before and after you guys. I did find, like, yes. Well, they, they still play the College good. World Series without them? Yeah, it's <laughs> – I'm surprised they didn't cancel the game in Hattiesburg today. It felt only felt appropriate considering the circumstances that they lost. But, like, I do get that aspect of it. It's like – it's almost like that they were coming at it from the angle of they're rooting against Tennessee because they're a great team. It's like, no. Like, people rooted against Golden State and Kevin Durant and the Golden State Warriors because they were a really awesome team, felt unfair – like, they rooted against them for that. That's the villain that, that Tennessee thought they were. But in reality, it was just a bunch of dudes that acted like jackasses. And that's what people <laughs> rooted against. It had nothing to do – it really – it should have had everything to do with how good they were. It should have been Vanderbilt. You root against Vanderbilt because, my God, those guys are so damn good. Vanderbilt went 26. But at the end of the day, you respect Vanderbilt. Like, yes. yeah, they cheat and all that. But they, 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 they do it legally, I guess. But you don't – you don't go to bed every night or, or if you're an opposing coach saying, good God, I hate Tim Corbin or good God, their players are jerk. You don't, you, don't, you just dislike them because they kind of bend the rules and are really, really good. Um, nobody, nobody gets together and roots against Vanderbilt the way that people did against Tennessee this weekend. Yes, you're absolutely right. But it, it could have had everything. They could have actually been a villain. Like they were so good on the field. Sure. It would have been fun for fans to root against just like, can somebody finally beat these guys? But that part of it was just hijacked by their behavior. And so, good on Notre Dame. If you believe in the baseball gods, if you believe in karma, that I can't chalk that anything up to karma. I mean, if you're looking at Vegas odds, dude, they, Notre Dame money line all three days. I went back and looked this up retroactively just to try to get a size of the upset. Plus 320, plus 280, plus 320. Like, yeah, it's, what if somebody took them all three days? That would be crazy, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be a nice scenario said had a hypothetical person had done that but like that's that's i can't talk it up to anything else it's karma i get it it is vanderbilt excuse me notre dame's a good baseball team but tennessee's better and that is karma and boy was it sweet um before we get to the questions and get out of here anything else surprise you through the weekend um, um louisville going zero and two was a little bit surprising to me in two hard-fought games too that friday yeah. was awesome um and arkansas as well um, I thought yeah. that game would go three, but credit to Arkansas. I mean, that, that that's probably one of the bigger surprises of the postseason too. They look dead. Yes, yeah. yeah, they're good. Them and their rental players, they're pretty good. Yeah, dude, my God, that <laughs> a lot of people just putting their foot in their mouth in the postseason. That might be the general theme of it. Outside of that, nothing really overly stunning to me. Um, as we're recording this, uh, Golly, East Carolina, man. I hope they yeah. come back. They're down so five they're not. in the second. Seven, seven to one. Oh, it is? Yeah, they're dead. Um, I hate that for Cliff. They had that game one yesterday. 
yeah, after winning game one, that's that's. I hope we eat our words. We don't recover that. from that one. Whew. Yeah, that, that that's really rough. Um, outside of that, I mean, Auburn going and taking game one, we'll see if they can finish it off. But that would be, I mean, Oregon State's a really yeah. good club. Um, I would imagine stand so that game's now finished. Stanford forced to game three. I imagine yes. they smash UConn tomorrow. I would think so, but UConn uh, got after him yesterday. Um, yeah, I would I would expect Stanford to to win that. I think Auburn figures out a way to win one of these next two. I, I if I had to bet, I think Ole Miss and Auburn play in Omaha on Saturday night. Okay. Um, I actually no kinda, score I, in the third there as I'm looking at this. Yeah, I kind of agree with that as well. Um, just rolling through it real quick. Nothing else really. Oh, uh, Oklahoma taking it to Virginia Tech. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming. Didn't see that one coming at all. Um, Jake Barrett was really good on Friday and shut down Virginia Tech. And then today, for whatever reason, Virginia Tech just played kind of tight. You could tell it was the team that, that was a little nervous in front of the home crowd. Um, and for some reason, I have a theory. Um, teams don't get tight if they lose the first game, if that makes sense. Like, if they're if they're down 1-0, um, I don't think they kind of, like, you're like, oh, God, our season's over. I think they get tight when they're 27 outs from Omaha. Yes. Um, after being down 1-0. Yeah. I think that's when they get tight. It's like, okay, we, we've survived, and now we have to go get this done. I think that's when they kind of freak out a little bit. I'm just looking at on Twitter now, Ole Miss Baseball originally had an 11.50 or 11.30 uh, rival time in uh, Oxford. I don't say this is news because this is a podcast and it's not time sensitive, but now it says 11.50. Did someone have to pee? What what, what was the <laughs> there? There couldn't have been a ton of traffic. Do you think – I don't know. Um, GPS lied. I mean, you, you let Elko pee wherever he wants. You could drive to Texas Absolutely. if he wanted to pee there. Um, I'll drive it myself. I don't care. <laughs> that uh so we got that out of the way um let's just look at the let's look at the bracket and the way this shapes up sure. for Ole Miss before, well, actually let's take some questions we'll do that at the very end we'll roll through these questions we I think a bunch of them were just people happy in their statements so I'm not sure we have a ton of actual questions to get to but we'll roll through them really quick leadoff hitter Weldon Rodenberg is getting the Omaha good Weldon's been fully Yanko yeah. trained the, uh, all the time uh I would say yes that's good yeah yeah, it is, it is going to be good seeing them take the field on Saturday night and uh, Charles Schwab. You're going to have to get used to that. Not TDA Ameritrade anymore. Charles Schwab field. That is going to take – I'm going to call it TDA Ameritrade for the entirety of this year and possibly next year. So, just throwing <laughs> that one out there. No, I'll, I'll may catch on to that in 2024, but uh, I actually doubt – I don't even like my odds there. Um, Big Dog Saint. Not a question. Just here to tell you we're going to win the whole damn thing. Okay. I don't disagree. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, look, it's 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 wide open, and what a wild place to think. What a wild place to be. Rob Brown, how concerning is it that we only have? So he's talking about Ole Miss. We only have eight pitchers that have pitched any good or meaningful innings during this hot run. I know compared to last year, eight sounds like a luxury, but if Ole Miss loses a game, they'll have to pitch more than those eight. How comfortable are they with that? I don't think that's a concern at all. These guys are battle um, at this point in the season. Um, I, I don't view that as so, thoughts. No, I, I guess where I do agree with him is I don't know who the third starter is. And and if this team's going to win the College World Series, they got to have a third starter. You're not, you can't just go Delusia Elliott, Delusia Elliott, Delusia Elliott. Um, so I, I do understand the, the concern of not having that third starter. 
because I don't think Derek Diamond will be their third starter. I think they're going to do a Gaddis Gass, or Washburn deal. Um, is there any way they could become three guys? Because outside of Gaddis as a lefty matchup, you don't really use Washburn or Diamond out of the bullpen, or they haven't yet. Like, could it be some version of all three of them? Um, yeah. I, I just – look, this team in 2014 went through the College World Series losers bracket uh, and, and got a game – or, excuse me, two games from the College World Series final with, with five relievers and, and uh, Josh Laxer, um, Wyatt Short. Um, Aaron Greenwood, Jeremy Massey, and, and I'm forgetting someone else. So you don't have to have an extremely, extremely deep pen to get through this. Um, but, you know, it, it, I guess that is where I'm concerned is if who is that game three starter? Because, frankly, you haven't had someone trustworthy in that game three role all year. Um, and if they're going to get through this tournament, they're going to have to find somebody that can fill that role. Is there any credence to the fact that they just haven't had to do it yet because in terms of the regular season and a, a, a regional where you had another game to play with that Diamond's been good enough? Like, I just – with the way Josh Mallett's has pitched and what you've seen in matches no. from John Gaddis and Jack Washburn, I'm not suggesting Mallett's as a starter, but, like – Okay. I'm just saying, like, is there, a, is there a world where one of those guys could take the baseball for a night? I mean, it's all, I don't want to call it, like, spinning a roulette wheel, but, like, the – I mean, Mallets, Doherty, whatever. I don't think either one of those should necessarily sort of be your first choice, but I'm just saying there's enough options there. Do you think it's the fact that they don't have it yet or they just haven't had to search for it like they might going to Omaha? I just – it feels like options are there, I guess, is my um, There are options there, but I guess the concern would be is nobody's done it, um, and they're going to have to go do it on the biggest stage in college baseball. I think that would be the concern. Is, is it that there's nobody there? No, it's just that you don't know who that is, and – you're going to find out who that is in probably a must-win scenario, if that makes sense. Will Bardwell checking in here. Why should I ever believe in anything for the rest of my life? Um, I don't know. It's a good question a after this year. 23-year-old Mississippi and make $220,000 to finish last place in a uh, golf tournament backed by the Saudis this week. So I think you should be able to believe in anything. I was trying to throw one right up his alley. He's a golf guy. Um okay. Rob Brown, again, why is the Cardinals World Series the way it is? No other sports still allow teams to enter the national I'm in on this. Severely at a disadvantage depending on whether they lost a game on the way. It's a reason. I'm in on this. And a super crammed into 10 dates for no reason. Sorry, I'm, elaborate on this. I'm missing his point. So, so what he's asking, and it's right, um, they start this thing on Friday, right? And yes. it goes oh, through Thursday. Oh, I see what he's saying now. And yes, then we're going to take one day off and start the national championship series, whereas when you have a Super East, you have three and four days off. Why don't we just wait a little bit, everybody get their pitching in line, and let's go play the national title when everybody's got their one and two available. I, I don't, I've never understood um, having to watch your somebody's midweek pitcher start a national championship series game. I just – I don't think this makes a whole lot of sense as far as – um, setting teams up to play play their best in a national title scenario. I'm with you there. Now I'm on the same page. I was a little bit confused at that. I, I agree. Um, this entire sport is centered around the best two out of three, and I get what that's what the national championship series is. And this might be excessive, but if you once you got the final two teams, would it be excessive to send them home for four days and then bring them back, or at least give them? I mean, you don't have to send them home, but like just. Give them two or three days off. Teams have days off all the time in Omaha. Instead of starting this thing on Saturday, start it on Tuesday, right? Um, the, the you know, regional portion finishes on Thursday. That gives you Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off. Everybody should be fresh by that point, or at least fresh enough to throw in a game, too. 
why can't we do this Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of the next week? I don't, and I get it. You'd be out in Omaha for two weeks, but it's man, this is a multi-million dollar sport. It, it'll be okay um, if teams have to stay in a, in a hotel for two weeks. It'll be okay. Yeah, I think it'll be just fine too. Dom, I actually not even to try to pronounce that, even though he put his phonetic pronunciation in there. Dom <laughs> Metzger, okay. Um, thanks for listening. <laughs> I've been critical of this Omaha of this team in Bianca my entire year. I will eat my crow. But my question is, why in the hell did they let the Rebs get hot? That's a good question, it's man. A fair question. Tim told them not to. He did. He told them not to. And by God, they sent them to Miami, and they let them get hot. And now here we are with the team that went 14 and 16 in the SEC. And I'm like, I don't know. They might win the national title. I don't know why the hell they did that. <laughs> I don't know I don't why. Know. Either. I meant to tell this story earlier in the podcast. Did I inform you on Thursday I was going to my first baby shower? Um, yeah, you did. So that was more of like a my. I told my dad I was going to a baby shower, and he's like, "What's your deal? What's wrong with you?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" Apparently now you have a normal baby shower, and then you have one with like your friends. I think it's a way to get actual like more gifts because apparently having a child is expensive, off the registry. Um, so it was a great time. Shout out to my man Cam Dillon having a daughter. Uh, had a great time there. But my, uh, it was going on at like five thirty or six with the Ole Miss game going on, and so I made it very clear to MC and the party I was going with. It's like, hey, if this game's still going on, I will take an Uber later. I'm not moving. Well, by the time that we had to go to the party, it was ten nothing. So I just became boyfriend of the year. I was like, sure, I'll go. I'll watch it on my phone for a bit. <laughs> it's ten nothing. Do what I can. <laughs> There's no stress. So that was uh, that. That just might sum it up for the Rebels this year in terms of just the lack of stress. Weird internet names checking in here, a uh, regular listener. Is Ben Van Cleve going to get a uh, Omaha home run? Our, my official answer is yes until proven otherwise. Okay. All right, we'll go yes then. I was praying he was going to hit a ball out today. We have to. We can't say no. Yeah, yeah. Only one home run in the Super Regional. It's kind of wild. Yeah, I that that was wild. That's one of credit to the Ole Miss pitching and in a weird way, yeah. the Ole Miss hitting to just be able to put up what they did without uh, having to hit the ball over the fence. Here's the here's the tongue and cheek question. Tongue and cheek question: What does Mike have to do in Omaha to keep his job? Not commit a exist. Felony. Yeah. Well, he goes to prison. That would be a tough look. Yeah, coaches have done 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 more and kept their job. Yeah. <laughs> Not without a conviction. What, what felony would Mike Bianco be most likely to commit? Um, is verbal abuse a felony? <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> I don't think that's a felony. I'll have to ask my mom. She's a lawyer. Um, <laughs> outside of that, I don't, I don't. Mike doesn't strike me as a big felony guy. Uh, so that that's how we got here two hours in this podcast. <laughs> I don't think Mike will commit a felony. Um. Can you believe winning a Super Regional without using Brandon Johnson? Thanks. Love the show. Thanks for listening, man. No. I mean, that's that's really nuts. It really is. No. That's I mean, I my baby shower example. The they didn't have to use Brandon Johnson. Yeah, I thought they were going to bring him in for the ninth, and frankly, I would have, but I'm glad they didn't. It worked out. Um, and I think I know Mike's thought process, and it's not, it doesn't matter because they didn't play game three. But, um, yeah, crazy. Just absolutely wild. I mean, they didn't have to use – they used Doherty and Mallets, and that was they got. And they didn't really have to use Doherty; they could have thrown someone else. Yeah, they they really could have. That's a good point as well. And I actually, I thought that was kind of indicative of how much Mike trusts some of these other guys. Well, I, I actually, yeah, I text Chase about that game, and and I'm sitting there when they're up ten to nothing. It's like you can go to Diamond here, but when this shit gets ten to five, I'm gonna be really pissed off. 
or just like, I don't want to say anyone, anyone, but someone that hasn't thrown a ton just to get the last couple outs. I actually thought that going to Doherty was uh, kind of a sign of how much he trusts the other guys to where it's like, okay, even if Doherty throws 56 pitches and can't come back tomorrow. We're oh, like, yeah, fair. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that, that, yeah. that was, yeah, I'm surprised they didn't have to use Brandon Johnson. Um, did Bianco save his job? Yeah, it, okay, that one feels unironic. Yes, of course, he's going to the college. Yes. <laughs> he will get a raise and extension. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 so here's my thing, okay? What, what, um, and I've gotten what, into what's your candidate pool if Ole Miss goes 0-2? Oh, and my like, Yeah, well, you know, we got to fire him. I, I might have to go coach it. <laughs> I mean, like, good Lord. Um. Uh, but I've gotten into it with two people in my text messages over this. It's like, yeah, but the regular season still happened. I'm like, no, you, you don't get to do no, that. No, now it, don't get, it doesn't matter now. You, you don't get to yell about postseason results for seven years or whatever. Yeah, eight years. You don't get to yell about those and say the regular season doesn't matter. Now the man goes to the College World Series and the regular season doesn't matter. Like, pick, pick a struggle, okay? Um, I, I don't know. That, that I've gotten annoyed by. No, the, the regular season at this point doesn't matter. Now, look, is this does this program need to make a routine habit of going 14 and 16 and not hosting regionals? No, that is not the path to success. But for a one-year window, when the goal was Omaha, it's fine, and you shouldn't worry about the freaking regular season at this point. I'm, I'm with you. Taylor DeCrasto, how did this team – parentheses that was dead 45 days ago do this? Refer to the previous hour 45 minutes. Um, so, so I will say this, um, they caught some breaks this year because if they play any other team but Missouri when they got Missouri, they're not here. Um, they got that sweep, and it's like, well, hell, maybe we're good. And then they get an LSU team without Barry that hadn't really pitched it well, and they win that or sweep that. So, so they caught some good fortune from the schedule at the back end, um, and then the kids just played well, man. When they got in, you could tell it. They were a different team, and they were ready to play. It was, it's been a remarkably fun thing to watch. I had to Google this one. Caroline Cole asked in Scoville. You I know, did, too. I saw this. How <laughs> hot are the Rebs right now? So this is a pepper ranking system. Um, oh, okay. I actually got down one of these rabbit holes a couple of years ago. I don't really know why. But, you know, there's some peppers that are so hot, I think it can, like, kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hottest the, – the mildest one is – Bell pepper, that's unfortunate. I've eaten a couple of bell peppers and been like, damn, I need a water. Um, Jalapeno is pretty low on the scale. The hottest one is Carolina Reaper right above Trinidad Scorpion. I always thought the ghost pepper. The ghost pepper is the one that got all the pub. Apparently yeah. the ghost pepper is a fraud. There's two, two peppers higher than that. One of them is the Carolina Reaper. I'm going to go that. I'm not sure there's a hotter team in the country or in the sport that will miss right now. So I think we have to go Carolina Reaper. Okay. So, so speaking on that realm while we're ranking things, um, what, what what ranking? And let's assume Stanford gets in and Auburn gets in. What ranking uh, of team? Like, where would you put Ole Miss in the field if you were ranking the eight teams? Okay, so if that's the eight teams, if assuming the Texas result holds, that is Texas, Arkansas, Auburn. Let's do it. Let's do it by bracket. So it's Texas, Texas A and M. Oklahoma, Notre Dame, okay, Ole Miss, Auburn, Arkansas, um, Stanford. I just don't know enough. 
I haven't watched enough of the other teams to know. Like Texas A&M is really, really hot, and they're really, really good. Yeah, I think I'd put them above Ole Miss. I'm curious about pitching depth a little bit. Yeah, Texas A&M. Um, Oklahoma just seems really good, but I'm not sure quite how good. Because well, actually, when you go into Blacksburg and you do that, I, uh, I, I yeah, just, I'll retract that piece of it. I don't know if I'd put them above Ole Miss, but I put them in the same realm. Arkansas is really hot, but they're definitely beatable. Look at the Fayetteville series this year, and I get that's a different that's a different Arkansas team, also a different Ole Miss team. Um, I mean, I put it top four. Yeah, I think that's where I where I'd go is top four for sure. It's not a shot, man. I think they're going to win if they get Auburn. I think they're going to win on Saturday, and I, then I think they're going to play Arkansas, and the winner is going to play for the national title. That's that's where I'm at on that. My God. Out of the 10,000 people that questioned in April, how had many had Josh Mallett's closing out a game taking Ole Miss to the College World Series? Look, he'd been good all year, and we were on this early. We don't get everything right, but the Josh Mallett's throwing in an 18-5 to game against Auburn, dumping breaking balls on both sides of the plate, then chucking 93. Well, what did he do today? Dumped a bunch of breaking balls that they couldn't hit. It's – I wouldn't say after last year I saw it coming, but every time he pitched this year, it was really good. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I mean, he's consistent at this point. At this point, it's a known commodity. Um, I do worry that, like, if someone ever catches on to the breaking ball, it's going to be a problem, but nobody has so far. And that thing is disgusting. How high was Collins' blood pressure in the top of the eighth? Uh, it was high. It was, it was high. But like I said, I, I just knew if almost, even if something bad happened, I didn't think Southern could hit him consistently. I frankly was more nervous yesterday in the top of the fifth or the bottom of the fifth um, when it was three to nothing and, and uh, Ewing hit the foul home run. I was more nervous then because I didn't know at that point that Southern was just incompatible with the plate. Um, I, I wasn't exactly in a great mood, but I was okay today. And then the pop-up happens, and it's, it's thank God. Is Bianco the best coach in Ole Miss sports history? Mm, I think he's still no. got a good John Vaught, right? Yeah, it's Vault. Um, I could definitely argue for number two after today. Is he second? Yeah. I mean, I think Kiffin's going to get there. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely two after today. Where's Hugh Freeze rank? Actually, we're not going to go there today. Yeah, um, no, not tonight. I'm not doing that tonight. Is there a hotter team at the moment? We just answered that one. Um, not that this guy would know, but, like, uh, I mean, they're up there. It's all relative, but they're up there. If Ole Miss wins the trophy, should I get a Tim Elko mustache tat? Yeah, I'm just going to encourage I'm that. in. Yes, absolutely. I'd like a photo, too. I'm not uh, offering up anything that I'll do if Ole Miss wins the title because I think there's a possibility that they might. Yeah, I'm not offering up anything as well, mostly because I don't want any body ink. I don't really do needles. I, uh, I don't, I'm not skydiving, anything like that. Uh, I can't grow a mustache, so I, uh, I don't have much to offer there. Oh, uh, how does the Kool-Aid taste? I don't like, watch this team. We just feel like we've been fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we both said that they were going to win this weekend. That is. Are we in the metaverse is another question we got. Possibly. Sure. Maybe. I don't know. I've been in worse verses. If you were Keith Carter, what would you build the Tim Elko statue out of? Uh, I don't know. Can you harden? Right out there in the park, right in Mike's parking spot. It's waiting. Oh, I like that. He's asking what the what material. Uh, oh. Could you get a bunch of – actually, this would get weird. Actually, this guy says he's a doctor. Can you get a bunch of ACLs and make it out of ACLs? 
<laughs> not used ACL. I don't think that's possible. Um, this one from me, did Tennessee manage to win today? Thanks for checking in. No, they did not. They did not. They did not manage to win today. I think not. Notre Dame game. will be I, going to the College World Series. That is no trust Dame. <laughs> I think he was on the same boat as us and just wanted to hear saying, is this fun? Seems that way. It was. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed everything about the Hattiesburg Super Regional. That is all of our questions. Uh, we kind of covered the bracket piece of this, I think. So, yeah. I, uh, we, before we go for four hours tonight, this has been Colin Brister. I appreciate the time, as always, my man. We'll be back at it. I don't necessarily know when yet, but um, – uh, Yeah, probably Thursday-ish. Yeah, somewhere around there, absolutely. Um, so, I appreciate the time. What a place we're at. <laughs> what a place uh, we probably didn't think we'd be, but we will, uh, we'll catch you again soon. All right, good, my man. All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, I really appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day. As I mentioned during the podcast, always fun with interacting with the listeners. Appreciate the updates for those of you that were in Hattiesburg this weekend, uh, sending photos, whatever the case may be. Always appreciate it. Um, this is the greatest time of year, college baseball postseason, and uh, this is kind of this podcast bread and butter, I feel like, to some degree, and uh, you people are a huge part of that. So thank you guys for listening. And uh, Colin and I will be back this week. We'll probably have something for you in the midweek as well. But uh, this time of year, it's going to revolve around the baseball schedule. So just stay tuned. But we got a couple more pods for you this week. Y'all have a wonderful start to your week, and hopefully you enjoyed the celebrating.